This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. Hey guys, hey, can you imagine what it'd be like to have collaboration come easy, natural, and even fun? Dude, I know what you're thinking. Like, Adam, what are you talking about? That is what we're going to be talking about in this episode of Smooth Operator. I have a very awesome guest with me. You know, it's Friday and Adam always brings the best guests on Friday and I am not disappointing. This week, I have Mr. Peter Anthony with me. He's the author of Collabradabra, which is all about simple steps that we can use to have more collaborative conversations, work more with our partners, our teams, all these awesome things that we can do to really harness the power of collaboration. So I can't wait to get in this episode and let me bring in Peter right now and we're going to jump start here. Hey, thanks for joining me, Peter. How are you doing this evening? Good, Adam. Hello, listeners from uh, Sydney, Australia. How are you today? Fantastic, Peter. Yeah, it's uh, my second guest from Australia. I got a good track record going now with the Aussies, and we always we always like to talk to our friends down under. So, um, of course, it's evening here, morning there. That's what happens when we're working transnationally. But what I love about this is that this is a walking, talking example, folks, of how collaborative things can be now in the year 2022. We got through the weirdness of the last two years of people being crazy, running around like their heads are on fire. And now we have all these wonderful collaborative tools on how to actually work together, but we're missing some things. And that's what Peter's here to help talk about is these ways we can have these conversations. So uh, Peter, if you like, uh, I'd love to know a little bit more about your backstory, like how you came to this wonderful place and, and the things that you're doing now. Yeah, it hasn't been, hasn't been easy. It wasn't one of those mornings where I just woke up and thought, wow, here's how to have a collaborative conversation. It, was, it wasn't that simple. I wish it was. Uh, I've been uh, running workshops in the influencing space for about 20 years in about 12 different countries. And for me, was all about a, a variation of selling. But what I found was that the more I looked at selling, the less it worked because... Uh, what I found and, and what salespeople find is that uh, when, when you're selling, uh, you put a person in a buyer's perspective and they're going to get cynical, you know, distance themselves from you in terms of relationship, and they're going to think, oh, I'm going to put downward pressure on price and try and win this buyer-seller battle. So mm. clearly, a collaborative approach was one that we were looking for, and there were a lot of work in collaborative cultures and organisations, a lot of work in the wisdom of teams, and there wasn't anything really in that, in that conversation space. So I started looking at that much more closely. I went back to uni and did a master's in communication, uh, studying uh, collaboration. And through the workshops and clients I was with, I developed over a period of years these six steps, or what I call the six moments that matter in a collaborative conversation. Because you think there's, you get this feeling when you have almost like playing a game. There's, a, there's moments when things are required, whether you're playing tennis or playing football, the great players are the people that recognise moments and know how to react to them. 
And mm. if you're having a collaborative conversation, it's very much about saying, well, here's, here's the moment that requires this step. And I found there was a certain sequence um, that worked well too. And it's just, just me. It's the, the participants and people I work with find it, it works too. So it's been 20 years, Adam. Wow. Stage, this place. That's been, oh, I can't wait to dive in on, on this because like I hear what you're saying where we've been conditioned to believe that like it's a variation on a, on a sales call, some kind of like a lot of partnership calls that we would do when trying to expand our networking. And, and now I can see it exactly like you're, you're, if you're putting someone in a buyer's perspective, we all know what happens when we're selling. You know, if you've done sales, you can tell immediately when someone puts their protectors up. You can feel it if you're on a sales call. And if you can actually, if you look on your, like if you heat map a sales page, guys, which if you haven't done that, heat map a sales page, that's interesting because you can see where the, where the, the get the, the protectors go up on a sales page because it's where the traffic stops. So it's, it's a really interesting uh, philosophy and yeah, let's dive into this. I mean, what are, what are some of the, the, the ways that we can change the way we're approaching conversation to really, I want to say like leverage this power, but let, let's frame it a different way because it, it's all about the win, win, win. So how can we better <laughs> equip ourselves to have better conversations? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's an awesome point because it, it does start, it starts with intention. start thinking about steps and I've got an intention to collaborate, which is, which is uh, key. And I'm communicating that to the person I'm, I'm talking to. Eddie, hey, Joe, I'm really keen on making this a collaborative conversation and a collaborative relationship and be very upfront about what it is you're attempting to achieve. And rather than in a selling relationship where, say, the seller wins and the buyer loses or the buyer doesn't win as much as the seller does, when you collaborate properly together, uh, you're both better off. So there's an intention to collaborate we start with. There's also an intention to be authentic and genuine rather than fake. Uh, and uh, we borrow on some of the work of people like Brene Brown here when we talk about that power of authenticity. Um, and she talks about uh, authenticity as taking courage, the story of who you are with your whole heart, which means you build a better relationship, a more honest relationship. And there's also the third intention there before you actually start the conversation is the intention to be optimistic because we know uh, through even the early research of people like Martin Seligman that, um, that optimists are more influential and in a conversation with somebody, you're looking at uh, creating something uh, better than was there before. So having an optimistic frame uh, and all the good research suggests that optimists are more influential because most of us would like to, to create something better together and enjoy the process of doing that. So we start with those intentions. We start with the collaborative intention. It's very uh, deliberate, very honest uh, about that. We're authentic and as genuine as we can be, which builds better relationship. And we've got an optimistic frame, not unrealistic, just optimistic. And think, hey, we, uh, you and I can do some great things together. Let's, let's do that together, build the relationship and enjoy the process. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's, so it starts before you even start. It's, it's, the, <laughs> the, it's the framing you're bringing into the conversation because you're, you're coming into it with 
these three pillars exactly. of intention, authenticity, and optimism. Yeah, exactly. So you've, you've got that, you've got that intent. And, and as we all know, intent are contagious. If that's your intention, you can be deliberate and, and say, look, let's collaborate. But people will feel it coming off you. They'll, they'll feel as if you are genuinely interested in understanding what they're looking for from the relationship. And maybe it's not and maybe maybe not every conversation you can create something better and different together but just uh, having that intent uh, in the conversation is uh, is beneficial in its own right mm. and for the for the sake of converse of process like we get onto these calls through some kind of outreach like we, we don't just find ourselves on these phone calls where we're either cold mailing someone or leveraging social networks to try to get in front of them. So like, these are your, your guide. And I'm, I'm seeing it as like, this is my new guiding path <clears throat> um, to get in front of people to capture their intention is to lead with these three and allow those three principles to frame my messaging in that initial, Hey, look at me thing that we're doing when we're trying to network. Right. Exactly. And I've got a I've got a strong belief, which has been proved true again and again and again, uh, that uh, for for everyone that is selling something, whether it's a product or a service, there are buyers looking for you. So it's yes. it's almost like a sorting process. You're uh, they're looking for you as much as you're looking for them, right? So it's a matter of uh, you finding each other. It's almost like a dating game. It's like like you're you're looking to find each other and develop that relationship um, together rather than trying to trick somebody or find someone that's not really a prospect or a customer and trick them in from you. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, particularly not long-term. And if you get famous for being a great person to work with, a great person, whatever line of business you may be in, whether anything from, from dry cleaning through to carpet cleaning, uh, whatever that business might be, you, you'll get famous and that's your brand. That's your individual personal brand and part of your brand is hey you know she he is uh, awesome to collaborate with because the best salespeople for you are your customers right, right. they're your best people and if you leave them happy and think i love this guy adam he's collaborated so well we got a really great outcome together you should talk to him you've got you've got a sales force that's bigger than anyone you can work with all these great customers that are that are building your brand talking to their friend yeah Oh, for sure. Fantastic. Okay. I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation and it's not disappointing, Peter. So we get into the conversation. I know from here you have six steps that you, that you use. And, and so how, how, how do we walk through yes. this? Sure. Uh, let's, let's talk about the six. I actually call them, I call them six moments just to be, just to be different, <laughs> a, little, a little different, a little bit of pistachio on the ice cream. Because I like it better actually. That's good. Yeah, there's six moments that matter. And you think, well, there's six moments that matter in each collaborative conversation. And the first one is, is, uh, is setting a goal, which happens, happens before the conversation takes place. So you're thinking, I'm having this conversation and I'm, going to, I'm looking towards changing something about what this person is thinking, what they're doing or how they're feeling. Something's going to change as a result of the conversation with me. I could be changing how they're thinking, like about thinking about me, my company, my product. So changing that thinking, educating them, if you like. Or I could be uh, changing what they're doing, like working with a competitor, and they're not aware of what I can offer them yet. 
So I could be changing what they're doing, or I could be changing how they're feeling. They could be feeling skeptical or disengaged, or to feel more comfortable or confident with me. Because once I set that goal, or it could be a combination of any of them, that's going to give the conversation its context. Because if I've got a, if I, I want to make someone feel more comfortable with me in the conversation, I might have a different sort of conversation than if I'm teaching them something or if I were to change their behaviour. I might use different tools and have a different approach to the conversations. That, that's, that's what also starts triggering the power of intention because once I've got that intention very clear in my mind, I'm much more likely to achieve that outcome than I am if I don't have that intention. And when I ask clients in workshops, I say, look, how many of the conversations that you have achieved an outcome that you're looking for? They said, oh, probably about half. I'm thinking, wow, half. I think that even that's general because most people just start talking about something and hope and pray that they'll arrive at an outcome now praying is a great right i like pray but but i don't want to pray in every conversation i make that somehow magically the person i'm talking to is going to pick up on the outcome i'm after and give it to me when i don't know what it is you know what i mean so that's that's step number one. That happens before the conversation um, starts. I see. Step so two you're, like is, you're is setting a, the goals kind of being set even before you connect. It's we're coming into this conversation yeah. and here's what I want to accomplish. So you're 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 preloading it and and yeah. Exactly. And and even for personal conversations, I mean I, I go and visit um, um most Saturday mornings. And I just think before I see, because it's just, just her and I are catching up, and I help her to make her cups of tea in the way that she likes to made in a pot in a special way. I just think, what's my goal here? I think, well, my goal is to make her feel as treasured as I possibly can in this time I've got with her, because I, I, I just treasure her company, and I treasure what she's done for me. So I think, how can I, how can I treasure it? And then the whole conversation changes and the whole relationship changes because I've got that as my intention. Otherwise, if I just say I'm catching up with mum, well, really, I'm just catching up with her and I'm, you know, she should be so grateful that I'm gracing her with my presence. Well, maybe not. <laughs> it's, just, it's the same. It's the same with customers. Same with customers. Think, okay, it's give them what, what value can I deliver to them here? What, what's the goal? That, that's the first piece. The second moment that matters is that obviously when you first connect, you want to build relationships. Rapport, and there's been a ton written on rapport and relationship. Oh, yeah, uh, it's 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 all really about um, having, having as we as we know to uh, to match their style, match their tone, match where they are, meet them where they are. And what we find is that when we're willing and able to adjust our style to suit theirs, they're probably more willing and able to adjust their thinking to suit ours. That's the initial part, and that might be a couple of seconds. It might be yeah. the entire meeting. Some folks like a lot of personal conversation and chit chat about football and families and uh, the the uh, the RV, for example, before the conversation starts, or they want to get straight to business, which is fine too. You're you're being led by them in terms of that rapport piece, and that, that continues through the conversation. Yeah. That's the moment too. Moment three is somewhere in that rapport part. And this might be a few seconds in for super busy people. It might be 20 minutes into people that are much more chatty and friendly and affable. Uh, you need to take the lead. The, the, the conversation needs some structure. Mm. Uh, and uh, this is where you suggest to the person, uh, 
what you regard as a useful structure for the conversation. Uh, and it's it works in four parts, and this can be four sentences, and the shorter this is, the better. Uh, and that is uh, it's useful for the conversation to take place, like the motivator for the conversation from both your perspectives. Mm -hmm. The second is what outcome you're recommending will be useful for both of you in the conversation, for the why, there's the what, there's how you recommend the conversation can progress. And then finally, it's the so what. So what's going to happen after this conversation so that the conversation becomes part of the relationship. And when you think about this, the quality of your relationships is the quality of your conversations, right? Right, right. Whether that's a marriage, whether that's a parent, whether a friend, uh, whether it's a business relationship, great conversations are markers of, of great relationships. And mm. what you're doing is you're deliberately giving it some structure and giving it the next step. Like, you know, you're not telling them this, you're, you're suggesting, you're suggesting this to them. And you're very happy at this moment, this, this third moment of the conversation to get their input. And, and if they've got their fingerprints on it, fantastic. Yeah. Because you want their fingerprints all over it. Yeah, if you want them to adjust it, it's supposed to be ours, not mine, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is our conversation. <laughs> this is not my conversation. It's it's us. It's getting something. So, and we can move those things through. as long as you've got a why, a what, a how, and so what. It doesn't really matter. Actually, it would be better if then it's more collaborative, right? Right. <laughs> Which is the whole. If I walk in and start dictating to people, this is what the conversation is going to be about. You think that's hardly collaborative. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm yeah, telling you what the outcome's going to be. If yeah. I wanted to be told What's what to on? do, I'd talk to my wife. What are you talking about? No, I'm kidding, honey. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm I'm kidding. Kidding. Uh, I've got that. I've got I've got a, a wife and three daughters. So I, I get a lot of I get it in like <laughs> yes. I get a lot of advice. I get a lot of advice. Having a wife and three teenage daughters, advice on what to wear, where to go, what to say, what to watch. Right. Recommended highly. <laughs> not, I'm not ready for those teenage daughters yet, Peter. Stop. I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're going to have to cut off the conversation. This was not in the intention. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so that, that's the third moment. And you could just be only now a minute in or, or two minutes into the conversation. Right, or it might be longer because that that rapport part might take a bit longer because some some folks want to talk a bit longer, chat a bit longer. Others don't. It's going to depend. So you've done done the leading part. You've got some structure around the conversation, and then you've got uh, moment number four, which is uh, which is understanding how they're thinking now, mm. and this is likely to be the majority of the conversation. And what I would suggest um, to your listeners is that when you're, when you're setting up that leading part or setting up the meeting and you say, this is how I suggest the conversation take place, I'd suggest step number one is I'd like to take some time to understand how you're thinking about this as step one. Uh, to, to take a leaf out of Stephen Covey when he said, seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. Mm -hmm. So you're understanding them because... Because as we know, influence somebody until you understand how they're thinking already. You don't know what, where the target is. Yeah. You don't know what you're aiming at. <laughs> and right. that's why I don't like the sales pitch because think, like, I don't, 
I don't know where the batter is, so I can't really pitch to a batter where I don't know where he is. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Look at where he is in the field, so they could pitch the ball to him. But just walking in with a pitch, well, thinking, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. And it's so. I think it's so refreshing where. Like if you've been in the online space for more than about 10 minutes, you've been pitched to by a million cold emails that they didn't even take the time to understand who you are. And instead, we're outright saying, like, brother, I want to understand, like, I want to know you. And like taking that genuine interest in people, whether it be a team member, a potential collaborator, partner, employer, whatever, it doesn't matter. When we take that initial step forward to say, I want to know you. Like, what is it yeah, like yeah. that makes people it makes them feel like genuinely appreciated and that's and, and but it's it is genuine and that's and that's the point is none of this is fluff none of this is doing it because of this intention of setting up the sale down the road it's this very clear intentional way of communicating and showing attention it's i i'm taking notes if you're not taking notes and you're listening to this pause it Go grab some notes, come back, then you can listen to the rest, okay? But anyway. Okay. We're on pause now. <laughs> okay. Now it's it's true. I, I, I get spammed as I'm, as I'm sure as I'm, as I'm sure you do, you do too. Those folks are working the numbers. They think, okay, if I if I email a thousand people, I might get a one percent response rate and but they're yeah. pissing off the other what ninety-nine people out of, out of that thousand. Um, rather than plus the other thing from the listener's perspective is the more they do this, the better you get at it. It's like a craft. Yeah. Uh, and, and each person's subtly different. And it's what I find really interesting is I'm really how they think about things. So when I get to moment number four, I'm thinking, okay, I want to understand how she's thinking about this. And what's really interesting is know how she's thinking about this because she may not have stopped for quite a while and thought, how am I thinking about this? Because not many of us walk around thinking, here's all my decision-making criteria in my head. <laughs> not enough space, right? <laughs> it's, it doesn't work that way. And, and a lot of it's quite subconscious. Or there could be decisions I made 10 years ago or five years ago, or no, we've, we've always bought this brand or always done business with them. I think, well, maybe it's time to reconsider that. Well, let's. Yeah. So you think, I want to understand how they're thinking. You think, and what we... What we talk about um, is we talk about decision-making values. We say, look, every, every decision needs value. You need a way of making some decisions. And rather than teaching, like, questioning techniques, which, like, like in the old days, were like, teach open and closed questions. Well, you ask a closed question to someone who's really super expressive and outgoing, you'll get a 10-minute answer. Yeah. If you say, do you like black and white? Black or white? What about grey and orange? I'll go off for 20 minutes. Or if you ask an open question to someone who's really introverted, you might get a really closed answer. Yeah. How was your day? Good. You know, so we're looking here. You want to, you want to understand what the criteria are. You want to know uh, what order they're in, most important, second most important, third most important. You want to know what each of them mean too. I find this and three and four really important like what do they mean like if if adam says like he he re, he's really interested in something cost effective now i'm curious adam what does cost effective mean for you right. because it might be something different than what i think cost effective is it's very likely 
it's going to be different. So you know it cost effective. I'm curious because I'm a guy. I like to learn different perspectives on cost effectiveness. Mm. And the final one I love is I really like to understand the, the final part of this understanding piece is to work out what they're trying to avoid because what we know about decisions is people are a combination of towards what they want and they're moving away from what they don't want. And what they don't mm. want is obviously risk and cost and all those good things. So you want to understand what they want to avoid. So, and when you've got a good relationship, they'll tell you because very few people ask this question. Because salespeople are scared. They're taught to sell sizzle, not steak. Sell benefits. Okay, just sell benefits. But real people have concerns as well as desires, right? They have both. Right. Are you concerned about most of a decision like this? Mm. Or what do you want to avoid the most here? What are you most concerned about? What would be, and I want to have that conversation with you. I want to know what you don't want yeah. uh, so that I, I can position what I'm doing or make sure I don't give you what you don't want. Yeah. And it when you had that conversation, it's one of those where people just change, but they oh, wow, this, this, this guy's real. He actually is really concerned mm. about how I'm making decisions. So then you've got, when you ask those, not four questions, but sort of, and that might take a meeting or by a conversation by itself in hour. Of course. Yeah. It might take quite a while. Um, but it's depending depending on how extroverted the person is, you could be on for about an hour and a half for the first two. <laughs> <laughs> you could be. Or it might it might be okay, this is really great. Can we meet again on Thursday just to dig into this a bit in a bit more depth? Uh, or can we have a Zoom or a call on digging a bit? Because they may not know. Uh, or it mm-hmm. could be somebody else's. Like, you know, I could be talking to Jane and Jane says, you know what, these are my criteria, but but my boss, Jim, he's got different criteria entirely. So I've got to think about, okay, well, how, how am I going to juggle those, those two together? So I get, I get those criteria down. Mm. Or the understanding part, which is uh, the moment number four. And then I need to say, well, given that understanding, I need to make a recommendation about how we can agree or not. Maybe we can't agree. Maybe what you're looking for, I'm suggesting are way off track. Mm. <laughs> Maybe, and that's okay. That's okay. We've had a great conversation. I've understood how you're thinking. And, th- and that's, that's really useful. So I'm going to make a recommendation, ideally based on your decision-making values, the ones I've just understood, or I might recommend that you change something about them, which is where the real influence comes in. I want to change something like change how you're making that decision, what the criteria, I mean, what the order of the criteria are in or what they mean. There could be something new that you're not aware of, mm. aware of because I'm in the space all the time. So I'm educating you into something different you might want to consider. Right. So I make the recommendation. And then moment number six is the agreeing part, which is ideally what the whole conversation is about. Although you're making, you're making, agreements all the way through you're agreeing to meet you're agreeing to relate you're agreeing to the and yeah. what you are fundamentally doing is you're teaching them that being with you is a series of agreements not because you're tricking them or hypnotizing them but you just say this is the final the final but so you're making a recommendation then the final stars agree and you're going to get one of mean something to me i'm going to give you one of three answers I'm going to say yes, 
which is a great answer. I'm going to say no, which I love. I love the no's. They might get a maybe. And the reason I love no is not like these old school, like, you know, Wolf of Wall Street type no's. Not like that. Like, I'm going to translate that no into a yes. No, no, no. No's are great because too often, particularly with the clients I work with, people are nice to each other or nice. Being no, which is it, that would be the honest answer. They pretend it's going to progress, but it never really does. And right. both people waste a whole lot of time meeting and discussing things, exchanging emails, nothing ever happens. Right. right. And so I think no, if it's if it's a proper, if it's a deal-breaking no, when it's a no where it can't progress, that's that, that's a good one to have. And hopefully you've got the level of relationship where people say no to you. Yeah. No is a really important answer to get. So you could get yes, you could get no. So you go. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm just taken back by that. I don't know why it hit me so hard. Like no is, it's a hard one to get. You always get maybe, you oh maybe maybe someday or and you and you know yeah. there it's just that yeah. wishy washy. I'm saving face, but we have no problem telling an absolute no to someone that we have a better. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't know how many times your listeners have wasted time with customers or in or business relationships where they think it's a, it's going to be a yes and they waste a whole bunch of time and eventually it's a no. Yeah. Like a, a senior stakeholder hasn't been engaged or the price is wrong or something. There's a deal-breaking factor that if you're up front, it would never have progressed and you want to know early. Right. right? And you want to be you want to be big enough to to get to take the notes. So you almost welcome it. You must yeah. encourage it. <laughs> I've been on sales yeah, calls like before. That. If if you guys have ever done sales calls and like within like two minutes, I knew it was a no. And so I just like had a nice friendly chat. And then instead of doing like the usual sales spoof, I was like, well, let me just give you the upfront. And I gave him the upfront. I was like, yeah, dude, that ain't going to work. I'm like, that's fine. You want to chat for another five minutes and we can just be friends. And But it, it's so <laughs> refreshing to get that. And you can start to feel it out when you're going to get it. But um. Like actually getting it's yeah, kind of yeah. kind of nice, in a way. Yeah, and I think we've all been guilty. I've been guilty of it too, where I've been like nice to people when it's really into uh, yes. But now I'm, I'm I'm I give them a nice no. So sorry, look, I really appreciate you reaching out to me. It's completely out of my ballpark. That's never going to happen. So, but thank you. I appreciate you giving me a call and said to me and try and close it down as quickly as I can. Because right. I know that's hard reaching out. Like that. But if they're reaching out to me with something that is something, I mean, I, I got got cold call recently for somebody selling Harley Davidson motorbikes, right? Now, now that's a real that's a real niche. That's very unique, right? Yes. Because the first the first question she asked was, um, "Do you own a motorbike?" I said, "No." She said, "Have you ever ridden a motorbike?" I said, "No." And she said. Would you be ever consider buying a motorbike? And I said no. And she said, "Well, perhaps you should be thinking about Harley Davidson." I thought, "Why would I think about Harley Davidson?" I've just said, "Part of no <laughs> means I want a Harley Davidson." And I thought, "Look, sorry, but thanks for the call, but no thanks." But like, the final, no one goes the final, straight um, to a Harley Davidson, okay? Like that's not a beginner <laughs> bike. <laughs> Everyone knows that. I don't think the road, I don't think road safety in Sydney, Australia needs me on a Harley Davidson. <laughs> I don't think pedestrian traffic wants me on Harley Davidson. <laughs> wouldn't be 
good business. And the final, um, I guess the final answer, you're going to get a yes, you're going to get a no, or you might get a maybe. You might get, oh, maybe, yes, maybe not. Like this, there could be something in this, like a maybe. And then you'll need a, a, a simple negotiating uh, tool you can use to translate that maybe into a yes that's good for both of you, which might be the next conversation uh, that you have. Mm. You, want to, you want to welcome each of, uh, each of those, that, that yes, no, or maybe. And then, uh, then you're uh, echoing back to what you suggested when you were leading about the next step. You say, well, Adam, this has been fantastic. It's been a really useful, uh, productive conversation. Like, looks like we can progress and look at how we can uh, potentially deepen the relationship and show our services or our products or give you a product demonstration of the next step uh, might be. Let's see if we can uh, get the key people in the room and make that happen. And then that becomes the next step. Well, the next step might be, look, it's been a great conversation. It looks like we can't progress with you. Uh, I really appreciate your time today. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I wish you in the business well. So it could be yeah. whatever that next step is. It might be, I might, I might, if it's okay with you, I might give you a call next quarter just to see how you're traveling or next, yeah, or not. Yeah. Right. The really cool thing is if you, if you keep using these six moments, you get really good at them because practice. Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. Yeah. And, and the more people, the, the thing I find most fascinating is understanding how people make decisions. I love it. Criteria. Mm. You know, it's really cool. And, and how other people's criteria mix in with that too. It's really, it makes it really interesting. Yeah, because you're like, you're aiding the decision-making process from a, from just, a, it's such a different perspective than the typical sales argument um, and the sales yeah. flow where it's, it feels more organic. I think that's kind of the key to it is it's literally, it's a conversation with guides. That's how I'm, I'm seeing it in my mind is like, it's a guided conversation. And yeah. And for whatever it's worth listeners, I mean, I'm thinking of ways I can use this with subordinates, with team members that I'm technically boss over and in charge of. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you the least effective way of leadership you're ever going to use in your entire life is the same least effective way of parenting because I said so. That doesn't work. It doesn't work for team leading. It doesn't work for parenting. And if you can learn to use these same six moments with your team, imagine the cooperation you're going to have and what that's going to do for your, your status as a leader, your status as, uh, you know, in the organization, the organization's ability to move together in a collaborative dude. It's like yeah. right there. Exactly. You can it. use it. You can use it for support, but you can also use it if you if you think of the whole 360 as a leader. You think, okay, I've got people reporting to me. I'm going to collaborate with them and build respects and build what uh, I like to think of as followership. Because I, I I don't think of this show. I think I think of people wanting to wanting to be led by me, so that yeah. they want to follow me as as a leader, and they want to follow because I understand them and I've taken the time to collaborate with them and understand what they are. Or it could be my peers and key stakeholders that like on that line in, in my organisation that I need to collaborate with and potentially achieve outcomes together, business outcomes, and also the people above me. My mm -hmm. bosses, I can collaborate with them, say, hey, what are you looking for uh, from me in this role? Like, What, what are the, the key criteria you're looking for in successful delivery of this role? What does that mean for you? I'm keen to make sure I'm delivering according to your agenda. You can ask the same questions. 
And really importantly, and this is probably 70 or 80% of where I teach this, is with customer and client relationships and partnering relationships. This translates the relationship when you start talking to clients and customers like this, and they don't think you're selling to them. And for the really, the little ones you have conversations, for the big ones, get them in a room and have this conversation in a room with the key customer decision makers, so like a partnering meeting. Say, look, we're really keen on making this relationship more ideal for you. Right. Uh, and uh, what does ideal look like? Uh, what, does, what does that mean for you? Like, what are the criteria of an ideal relationship with us? Uh, how would you order those things? What do they mean to you? It, it completely changes the relationship. Uh, to, so you can you can use it, you can use it anywhere. I mean, there's even a guy um, that your listeners have probably heard of, John Gottman, uh, that mm. teaches. He's got the Love Lab in, in uh, Washington State University, and yeah. he teaches this to couples. He teaches uh, conversational relationships in couples. Yeah, and he's looking. He looks for the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He talks about. And he says, he gets them on the couch. And he, he says, look, just talk to each other about anything at all. And we're going to content analyze the conversation, looking for these four horsemen of the apocalypse. Because he says, again, he says, the, the relationship is the quality of the conversations you guys are having. And he says, look, unless you change how you're talking to each other, this is doomed. <laughs> right? Yeah. And he's got like, like 30 years of science behind this. What he's caved is content analysis by verbatim expression. He's content analyzing conversations. And you think of any great relationship like that, that that's, that's how it works. So you can use it, you can use it anywhere. Mm. You can use it in any relationship, parenting, leading, following. You can use it with customers. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's universal. And, and you, the, more you, the more you practice, the better you get. Just practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it recognizing these moments and making it not forcing it on them, making it conversational and just letting it flow like that. And, and it works. I mean, this is, I mean, I hate to get on your listeners, but, but collaboration is the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Yeah. I yes. think this was how Homo sapiens, one over all the other Neanderthals, other apes walking around, right? <laughs> because they learned, to, they learned to collaborate with each other and do stuff together. Right. Cialdini wrote about that. Cialdini wrote that in Influence, uh, the whole chapter on reciprocity. He's talking about how reciprocity is so deeply ingrained in human nature. It's the reason societies actually exist. We wouldn't exist if it weren't for these innate forces that are inside ourselves to work with one another and to to be reciprocal in nature and to have these relationships. So we're, we're taking what's already human nature and we're applying ourselves to it. Exactly. And there was a, a really a recent example too. It was uh, uh, Eleanor Ostrom. She was the last woman to won a, a Nobel Prize for, for physics, no, physics or mathematics. And she, um, what she was studying was what she called, what they call the tragedy of the commons, which was like in medieval times uh, when we were cattle uh we'd have like you'd have your cattle i'd have my cattle on, on and be four or five different cattle farmers that have some common land they'd share their cattle on mm. um and it was in it was in our personal selfish interest to overgrow like you put your cattle on there and you're going to overgraze it so when my cattle get there they've got no grass to, to feed right. it right collective best interest to not overgraze it, so the grass is, is going to uh, last for longer. Uh, and she uh, she developed this approach, 
to the societies that ran their common land well, um, uh, called pro-social collaboration, where each farmer was better off, plus the environment was better off because the environment was better off because it wasn't being overgrazed. Mm -hmm. uh, and she won a Nobel Prize for this called pro-social collaboration. So it's it's in the evolutionary spirit, it's in culture. We know it's in teams, and this is just making it translate into a conversation. That's uh, yeah, that's all it is. That's why I'm probably sounding a bit amped up, <laughs> amped up because I swam in the cold water this morning, like I do most mornings. But whenever I get to talk about this, I, I love evangelizing about it because after doing this for 20 years, I know how well it works, and it's not that hard. Yeah. And I tell you what that really gets me excited, difference. and this is like, if you want to get Adam excited, talk about second and third order effects. Think about if you're <laughs> a team leader, like I lead people, I have people following me. What am I really teaching my people that are following me? They're, they're all trying to mirror me. Like I know they are yeah. because I see it in their communications. And so if I can be a better leader through these types of communications, these collaborative conversations, if I can be a better father through these, what am I doing? I'm inculcating the next generation with these tools just by living them. They are experiencing it through me and it's going to continue on because they're going to model me, not some charlatan that they saw on a YouTube video telling them how to do it. Like they're going to follow me. Oh, that geeks makes me geek out, brother. I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's awesome. If, you, if that's one thing you can teach your guys in a team, not, not just with you, but also with each other. And if you can, if you look at like successful, whatever model of culture you use in organizations, all the models have uh, a constructive element as the most successful uh, value building models in organizations and companies. And constructive cultures are built on collaboration and affiliative relationships. That, that's like a cornerstone for all of them. Yeah. Think, well, how do we collaborate? That's it, it's it's really key. Whether it's a and the, the interesting work they've been doing more recently now is looking at uh, growth in shareholder value, and they've found that uh, organisations that are the most constructive and the most collaborative uh, are the ones uh, that have the strongest growth in shareholder value, and interestingly enough, the ones that also have the most diversity in their decision making. Mm. Uh, not because diversity is a good thing, which we know it is, to, uh, to be inclusive. Uh, not just good morally, it's also good uh, financially. Because if you can find getting those diverse people together and making decisions together, that diverse group will make a smarter decision than its smartest increase in shareholder value and profitability. And interesting enough, too, they've found uh, a growth in profitable uh, sales value too. So customers buy more from organizations that are collaborative and constructive. So it's a, hmm. it's a win, win, win. It, it works all, It works right across the board. So yeah. I think with that last point, it's almost like we're, there's this essence we're putting into the world with our companies, with how we're leading our companies and how we're communicating. It's, I, I don't know, car, not karma, that's the wrong word, but like, it's this energy we're putting out and like, the people can feel it and there's this yeah. almost connection yeah. that gets formed exactly more than ever this is an important message for us all to be thinking about because i was looking at some pure research recently where they said uh polarized and never less likely to change our opinions um than ever they're social media for that or one reason because we get bombarded with the same message over and over again so right. 
we're, we are more polarised uh, since COVID, particularly uh, in my country. People are more anxious and more fearful and more depressed and less optimistic about the future. Uh, and you think, well, if I'm more polarised, if, if, I'm, if I'm not feeling optimistic about the future, uh, one way to feel better, stronger relationships and all good positive psychology suggests to us that the number one marker for happiness is, is good, strong relationships, interpersonal relationships, romantic relationships, parenting relationships, so business relationships. So it's, yeah. it's going to make me happy. It's going to make me a not happy joy joy, but happy, happy in my own, in my own bones. Why? Yeah. Dude, we could go on all night and that'd be very <laughs> dangerous, but. It would be we, dangerous. It's only, it's only, it's only morning for me, Adam, and I've, I've already had two coffees and I swim in the cold ocean. So I'm amped up. I'm <laughs> I can tell Peter, we're going to have to connect. We're going to have to stay in touch, man. Like I, I definitely, like we got uh, this good vibe going on. I can tell like we're going to do some good, some good damage in a good way through some collaboration cool. in the future. It sounds like a plan. It sounds like a plan. Fantastic. And so for those that are listening, where the, can they find out more about you, Peter? Where, uh, where can they continue their learning? Well, if you'd like to, have, I wrote a book on this I called Collaborative which sounds like abracadabra, but it's collaborative. It's the magic of collaborative conversations. You can find that on Amazon or you can find me online at peteranthonyconsulting.com. It's all one word. It's got tons of details there on the workshops and the programs that, that I do. But uh, have a look at the book. They're probably the, the best place to start because it, it takes you through those six moments in the... Nice. Well, I'm going to order the book tonight for sure. And... <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Any other, uh, I'm a huge reader, so I always ask every every guest two book recommendations. Like what what are they not reading that you think they should read? Uh, well, I think most of the books they, they should read, um, you, you, I think we've talked about already. I, I, I really love, um, one I just dipped into again recently, which is uh, an oldie but a goodie um, by Viktor Frankl for meaning uh, and I think that's a that is still the biggest selling self-help book of all time. Seven million copies. Um, we all know a concentration camp survivor. And what I what I love about that approach is what he's reminding us about is he's saying there's a gap between the stimulus and the response. And in that gap, there's your freedom. Like you've got a you've got a choice mm -hmm. to how you respond. I really yeah. I really enjoy that. And the other another oldie uh, and a goodie because uh, some some of the older books. Uh, they have wisdom that sometimes we forget, and that would yeah. be uh, Stephen Covey's habits. Uh, I mean, one of the habits I picked up, which is seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. I like habits. I like where, where Covey um, comes from uh, in terms of his intent, and it, it's their useful habits to be living by. So nice. I've got no fresh newbies, just a couple of old like a couple of old Beatles tracks that nice they get back onto from time to time there's nothing I mean they're classics for a reason right my yeah they 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 good yeah. books survive the test of time and it is universal it doesn't matter uh it's some 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 guys got it right the first time and there's no improving upon it I think both those books are perfect <laughs> examples of that like there's a reason no one's come out with the eight habits of highly effective people they couldn't find the eight <laughs> <laughs> although, although it's some 
um, Stephen R. Covey um, tried to do that, but I don't think it worked as well. I think that, that yeah, sometimes it's just like a, a great song. It just has a it has a has a message in it, and it's just perfect. Right. Uh, and I think I think man's search for meaning is perfect. I think Seven Habits is uh, is perfect. They're both, and I, in my bookcase, I keep dipping in. I've got a like most of us, a bookcase full of soft hop stuff. I keep mm-hmm. dipping back into the old the old ones, the useful ones to remind ourselves of. Beautiful. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Peter. This has been an absolute pleasure. I've super, really enjoyed getting to know you and having this conversation. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, we had like the whole setting a goal, building report, taking the, we actually did that before we hit record. So that did happen on this conversation as well. We built rapport and all those good things <laughs> and the mirroring and pacing off each other. We did that from like minute, you know, half within 10 seconds in, we yeah. were start mirroring each other because I'm actually a disciplinarian of a lot of those skills as well. So we were like bouncing off each other right away. And so these are all great skills to have and yeah, get the book. Definitely check out Peter online and yeah, start employing these things. And I think you're going to be very happy, not only with the results, but most importantly, how you feel in the conversations. So often sales conversations suck because they're against what we want to do anyway. This is how we yeah. want to communicate. So why not lean into it? This is way more fun. So yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you, sir. And uh, I wish your listeners a wonderful night and a great week ahead collaborating. Fantastic, Peter. Thank you so much. And speak soon, okay? Pleasure. Hey, before you bounce out of here, I have a free strategy session available exclusively for my podcast audience. In this 30-minute phone call, we'll unveil the immediate steps you can take to operationalize your business and put you back in the driver's seat. Just go to www.adamliette.com and click start here.